0: Welcome
1: to We Are Chafee Looking Upstream, a conversational podcast of humanness, community, and well-being rooted in Chafee County, Colorado. I'm Adam Williams. Today I'm talking with Alpheus Alf Rudd, a master blacksmith with a family lineage in the trade dating back to at least the 1600s. Alf figures that's 10 generations, more or less. So think about how far back that goes. It's a time period that covers the Revolutionary War in the 1700s, of which Alf had ancestors who fought and were blacksmiths for the Continental Army. It covers the Civil War era in the 1800s and World War II in the 1900s. And we touch on the Vietnam War era, too, because that's when Alf enlisted in the U.S. Navy with his 8th grade education and became a ship fitter and a diver. We take a ride through history and stories of a time gone by, personal, family, and otherwise. Now, I think the tragedies in particular that Alf experienced from his very beginning are remarkable, though Alf seems to kind of shrug them off as nothing extraordinary. He was abandoned by his father from the get-go and his stepfather was lost at sea in the Pacific during World War II when Alf was only a baby, months old. He has stunningly vivid memories of being run over by a car driven by his grandfather when he was six years old. His mom was a Rosie the Riveter type. She was a welder, and she died when Alf was 10. And there's more, but Alf focuses on the grandparents who raised him teaching him all the life skills that an old-world agrarian family and community in the Deep South had to teach at that time. As I said, we cover a lot of history in this conversation, personal and otherwise, and we have a surprising collection of historical touchpoints that I don't think I've ever experienced like this before. We touch on Benedict Arnold and John F. Kennedy, Herman Melville and Moby Dick, Julius Caesar and Aristotle, the Civil War photographer Matthew Brady, and the Russian jeweler, Carl Fabergé. Alf even takes a moment to reflect on Adolf Hitler and George Armstrong Custer as babies. Now, it's in shining a light on some of the essential life philosophies that he learned from his grandparents, but nonetheless, they added to a fun and unexpected list of who's who that I didn't see coming when I sat down for this conversation. Alf also recounts some of his experience on the History Channel's TV show, Forged in Fire, and he tosses in his two cents on what's gone wrong with the movie theater experience since the old days of his youth, among other things. Here we go with Alf Rudd. Welcome to Looking Upstream, Alf. I'm really grateful that you are making the time to come talk with me.
2: Yeah, well, I'm glad to be here.
1: You are a tenth generation master blacksmith. Yeah, T- no, when ten I say tenth
2: generation, it means tenth generation in our family. Probably, probably something like that. All right, okay, we go back to, uh, to the 1600s who we blacksmiths, and and uh, and blacksmithing goes, be, you know, f- f- before that. But from what I've learned in my family, on my mother's side of the family, uh, we go back a long, long ways. It's Scotland. Okay. There is, I know, a lot, of, a lot of story, a
1: lot of history to this, and you have shared some of it on your website, which is what I first encountered of your story. Yeah, yeah. I wonder why, why you shared what you did, and we're going to get into that because I think there's yeah. so much there that's interesting, but what is it that's important to you about sharing it?
2: Well, I, I don't know about the importance of it. I, I, the reason I share it is because I've grown up with it. People have asked me questions about this. When I was growing up and uh, when it came to blacksmithing, I always thought at first that people were f- uh, not fools, but uh, and with all due respect is, why don't they just fix these things themselves? I was brought up in an agrarian uh, family, uh, like so many other people, uh, uh, were uh, it was taught all these life skills, What it happened to have shooting and and like for hunting, and those kinds, I had to not just chop firewood, but how to sharpen an axe, you see, and all of this goes on, and had to sew a button on how to how to cook, how to cook for a large group of people. and uh, all those life skills, you know, all, everything you could think of that uh, was part of you know chores before you ate breakfast, it was everybody had their own chores to do, whether it be uh, even on the weekend even right. on the weekend you were given assignments each person had their own little job we shared like shining the shoes for church on sunday saturday night you know and the job was to shine uh, 20 pairs of shoes oh wow so you, you know? would shine for the whole family then yeah but it would be more than one of us you see so it's gotcha. all these life skills see, not only did i shine shoes i learned how to shine shoes I okay. had to rig a uh, horse and buggy, had to rig a wagon and those kinds of things. And was that dr- your transportation drive as a drive. child? Yeah. yeah, we used a lot of that until uh, until I was um, probably 15 years old. Okay, yeah, where so was we, this? In Lu- Louisiana and, what, and Colorado.
1: Right. But in, in Louisiana, it must have been a really rural
2: area yeah it was it was i mean we but we still had all the same things that everybody else had we a drive-in movie and you know, we, we used and we used the wagons to go to the drive-in too but we weren't alone everybody went to church and used wagons uh we had a, a car you know we had a, a pickup truck a 1938 uh, uh plymouth pickup uh but we use it when, when you could get a lot of people to see three tarzan movies for a dollar if you had a whole <laughs> carload of people if you had a wagon you could probably get 10 people on that
1: thing because you'd pay for the load not per person
2: per load yeah, yeah. I,
1: I actually grew up with a drive-in outside of my town i grew up in rural midwest yeah. and we had one and so we would do the same thing where you'd load into the pickup truck try to get as many people as you Hell, could yeah. in yeah and
2: just see three tarzan movies and 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 cartoons what a shame We don't, uh, here it is, 2023. What happened to our cartoons with the movie? (laughs) We don't get a chance to have fun just before we see the main feature anymore. As though there's something wrong with it, you know. So, you grew up in Louisiana,
1: and you've shared some of this history, like I said, on your website. And I want want to go back to the very beginning of this here, because you've had a lot of ups and downs and, and amazing. Significant, well, I should yeah. say, experiences in your life. Yeah,
2: my grandparents raised me. My mom died when I was ten. That's because a big one. she had a uh, she had a, 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 a peritonitis uh, infection, uh, and uh, it just made her very ill, and she died from uh, probably sepsis. I suppose now in today's world, We would call it that okay. blood poisoning. But she had that infection in 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 bowel. Uh, that i remember that i remember so she died when i was 10 and my grandparents raised me so what happened is i learned uh uh from them uh i learned it was like living with aristotle you know and and uh with some of the other great philosophers you know uh because they always seem to have these sayings all the time you know some are funny and some were not you know like, <laughs> like my grandfather always said that uh and we talked about him be living, living in the country when he was a child because things hadn't changed since I was grew, grew up. And he says, when he was a child, everything was country. So he had huh. a way of, of answering that question in a way that seemed to make a whole lot of sense, you see. And uh, so they raised me, and I had a great deal of interest in what he did, him being a blacksmith, you see. Uh, and he says, well, we're going to show you how to be a blacksmith, and we're going to uh, – I'll uh, show you the, the uh, trade, the, the master trade is what it's called. Master trade means from the 10th century, which is a coincidence to say go back 10 generations. So I'm kind of mixing the two together by saying 10 generations. It's probably at least that, more, maybe more. Uh, but the 10th century means from the time of the 10th century all the way through the 19th century uh, blacksmithing was pretty much the same thing. The techniques are pretty much the same type of thing and how to move the metal to metal itself too, but uh, the, uh, how they got the metal was a little different in the 10th century than it was in the okay. 19th century. I want to highlight
1: something you have shared before about blacksmiths in your family. Going back yeah, you're saying it it's back to the sixteen hundreds and Yeah, at least sixteen
2: nineties that I know when they started coming to America.
1: Okay. But the Revolutionary War is something that especially I think is really fascinating. It is. Because that seems like it was so long ago we're a young nation compared to yeah. where your family came from, right? Well in mine too. Yeah. But you had you had family members, ancestors who were blacksmiths during the Revolutionary War. That's right. And I, I had to reread to catch this. Some of them served, they fought in that war as well, and they served under multiple people, but Benedict Arnold was one of them.
2: He probably was involved in some of that, but it wasn't, it was a different, it was a, he started with an S. I, I still remember the name of the general that, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, I can't remember exactly the name, but it was something like that. Okay. And they was in, because they were in Saratoga and places like that wherever general it was up then at the time okay uh, what i'm wondering benedict Arnold was involved in that stuff somewhere along the line because it was all in that same area okay in, you know that uh, between uh, lower new york and upper new york state and, and vermont which was probably part of new york at the time bennington vermont okay. was actually bennington new york or at the time what i'm curious about
1: with all of this, is how you know this history, or what records, or letters, I or actually, things you might
2: have. Believe it or not, sitting on my laps, on the laps, the telling, they telling me these stories, and some of it, other parts of it, were uh, very interesting the way they explained it to. Me. I had a grandmother, one grandmother, I didn't get a chance to know her, lived to be a hundred and seven years old. Mm. That's amazing. From seventeen. 17- Get this, 1798 to 1905. Wow. <laughs> do the math on that. Yeah. I mean, she talk about changes in her. In her she processes. lived in three centuries. Three centuries, yeah. And you might have, you get two two plus, but three centuries. Yeah. You know, 1798 is almost 1800, but still. She touched them. And went through a whole century in between. Yeah, that, that's two that's others, rare, yeah that's well, amazing she was in her 60s when the civil war breaks out okay you
1: you had a grandfather who was born in the late 1800s and i thought this was a fascinating story too because he must have only been around seven or so it was around 1900 when he went with an uncle onto a whaling boat he was
2: a a cabin boy on a uh, whaler turpin and uh, at a new bedford connecticut and he was a cabin boy. And he said they had went out to sea for two years. Now, keep in mind, they weren't on the ocean for two years. They, huh. The voyage was two years. And one of the trips they had taken, one of the, you know, voyages that had taken. And they didn't kill the uh, whales for the blubber, for the more well, like they used to. They would just take the head, huh. whatever was in the head, the oil that was in the head. Wow. And and just and I guess if, for, I don't know. I, I mean, it's my understanding. When I, you know, I wasn't well informed as to why they did that, but I've done some homework on my own since then, and uh, it seems to me like they were interested in the all in the head of the whale well because of they were doing, making cosmetics and uh, lubricants and things like that, and that all that's in the head of the whale well isn't all at all. It's a type of lubricant that. Uh, that is so uh, works so well that you could lubricate a, a, a clock uh, and it would run for 400 years before we'd need many more lubrication. That's how well it just it's interesting. Well, I'll, I know a little about it, I've got some of it too. I have still have some in my shop.
1: It's interesting these stories because they sound like they're from such another time and they another were, world to keep
2: in mind now i said that i didn't some of my own homework on that what he told me was uh, oh make sure you read the book uh, uh, moby dick for instance. Uh-huh. i've read it twice and if you've read moby dick it's like reading the bible i mean it's not the bible itself but it's a big thick book yeah and it must have what <laughs> it must have a 100 chapters in it some of the chapters are only two pages long I read it as a senior in high school, and I don't recall, but I remember.
1: I remember the schoolwork I had to do on it being difficult. Yeah,
2: it's uh, Melville. uh, Melville. By the way, he was on a he was on a uh, a whaler himself. That's why, and he knew about the Essex. The Essex was a real whaler ship that was uh, collided with a whale, I guess. Okay. And he put that whole thing together, but it's interesting how. Uh, How he explained uh, the the stuff about just the head of the whale. It's all they were after. And they were always after the uh, uh, sperm whale or the right whale, I believe he called it. Okay. (laughs) That I remember was something like that. I think we thought he said right whale let's Let's
1: go back to your to your childhood and, and with your mother. your Your dad wasn't there.
2: no, no. And I didn't have much of really. I was born illegitimate. That's all in there,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. you've shared yeah. this story, and it's it's an interesting thing that your mom goes to a dance. She meets this soldier who is at Fort Polk. Uh, I happen to have been there when I was in the yeah, army as yeah. well, so I can picture this sort of environment. Yeah. And as you've described it before, yeah. they danced until you know the night ended, and then you were born nine months
2: later. Right. Was, they, they danced too close, is what I call it.
1: And he
2: already was married, and he already had a family. Oh yeah. And which, by the way, my uh, I may I don't know how much I mentioned it in my history, but my stepmother was. <laughs> Was some piece of work. She wasn't happy about it. was one eye open when I lived with my father.
1: You ended up going to live with him eventually, but this was after another significant experience when you were young. You got hit by a car.
2: Yeah. That was my grandfather. I was only six years old.
1: Okay. What what was your grandfather?
2: My grandfather ran me over. That's the car. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. He was. I was playing in the mud, at, up near the house. There was a big pool of mud, and it was rained a lot. Okay. And I was splashing in the mud, and I didn't have a thing on. I was just in there. My <laughs> grandmother and my mom had put me in the in the mud and let me splash around, and they were there at the time. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, I can remember, it's funny how you can remember these things. I was only six years old, and I can remember it just as clear as a bell. And here he come roaring up that road to keep from getting stuck in the mud because it was wet and juicy and you know as you might imagine and he just I just had to be in the wrong place at the wrong time he ran me over and broke my left leg right they could feel the tire of the I actually feel this and see the the light go out with the vehicle go right over the top of me I can actually picture that to this day with a wheel hit me in the side of the head and left a big bruise on the side of my head at the same time right just six years old i can remember it just as clear as it was yesterday i'm a bit stunned by yeah, yeah. Visualizing and, they, and, that they, and with you. after that wasn't long after that they got me into the house and and uh, the doctors and stuff were there and they got me taped up and and put a cast on my leg you say broke it, set the bone and being that young, <laughs> bones would be pretty short, you know, and eh? be easy to set a bone. And I ran around on a cast, and I remember they had bent some pieces of steel and put it around there and with the plaster in it so that the steel part would stick out the bottom. And when I walked, I could walk in that steel bracket, that metal thing that they probably made in the blacksmith shop Okay, just by bending a piece of iron that they could fit inside of that plaster cast. And I I remember gimping around on that thing very clearly. You said you were six when this happened. Six years old. So
1: I think I'm a little confused then on the order of things with you because you were with your mother. She dies when you're 10. 10. It was, yeah. You lived with your grandparents.
2: Yeah, they were there too on the farm, yeah.
1: And you went at some point to live with your father moving from louisiana to the state of new york
2: yeah upstate new york that's right
1: so how old were you when you went to live uh, with uh, your 13
2: father? 13 yeah and what was happening was it had to do with see my mother was a rosie the riveter right isn't that in that uh it is it is yeah she, was, she was a rosie the riveter rosie type welder. except she was the welder and right. they called him wendy the welder she didn't I okay. don't know what the hell they called her yeah. i have no idea what they would have called her but she's just part of this whole scheme of things. I don't think they called each other Rosie the Riveter either. I think that's just a, just a. Uh a picture of what you might expect them to look I like. think it's representative. Yeah, you got it. Of women That's who
1: went into these roles. Yeah. And your mom worked in the shipyards as a welder then during the,
2: we're talking World War ii era. That's right. And she get this she had a pair of saddle shoes. Okay. Uh, just like you see in the Rosie the Riveter thing. She just happened to have a pair of those. I've still got one of her hammers and her cutting torch wow that she uh, kind of left behind i it was just given to me and i still got that laying around what did she do after the war because you were you were born you're during the war the years right well she, she <laughs> she's in the shipyard okay and uh and she's getting sick all the time right and they should see, so she said, there must be something wrong with you is what they're saying And, said, well, and they finally they said we'll tell you what's wrong with you. you're pregnant is what you are and you can't go anywhere because back in those days, when you're pregnant, you're not supposed to be traveling all over the place. And she wanted to see them. Uh, she wanted to see them launch the USS Missouri. She worked on that because okay. she, she was in uh, um, three different places. She was in Pascagoula, uh, Mississippi, and then she transferred to uh, um, where she was going to stay in uh, uh, Mobile, Alabama, uh, uh, during the war, uh, working on the— ships i guess and and uh, there was a bunch of r- uh, racial problems there having I mean, some problems uh, that i've uh, history says it had to do with paychecks okay uh, black between the black people and the white people in that in that uh, environment okay but i'm not ju- exactly sure what it was but they were having some real racial problems there and they told her she needs to get the hell out of there she shouldn't be a woman working in a place like this and they went to move several of them out of that area to a dormitory in uh, Brooklyn, New York, where the uh, um, Brooklyn Navy Yard was, they have a dormitory for women there, and they would pay her twice what she was earning in um, in Alabama. In in Bama, that's right, and. Uh, so she said, geez, of course, she jumped at the chance to do that. And when she had gotten there, they said it, was, it has to do with the USS Missouri, the battleship Missouri. They wanted to get it launched. And she wanted to be there for that. And when she got there, that's when they discovered she was pregnant.
1: So you were born in Brooklyn?
2: And in the, well, the, the uh, uh, infirmary, the, whatever that is. The, in the shipyard? The shipyard, whatever, wherever. Yeah, when I say shipyard, that, that I know of, okay, they they hadn't been a hospital there, you know, you can't get born in a shipyard. Right, so right, right. Whatever hospital <laughs> was there yeah. at the time. So I was born there and it's kinda I've been harassed by my family for years over that, you know. And I've harassed myself too, because when I think about it, I says uh, when I uh, did the forged and fire shows in Brooklyn, New York where the old where the old warehouses are for the uh, Brooklyn Navy Yard. Okay. And wow. I says, Well I told my wife I'm gonna have to get me some salsa and bring it back, you know, because there used to be a TV commercial about salsa that came from New York City. You know? Yeah,
1: El Paso. It's supposed to
2: be a, yeah, it was supposed to be a joke. You know?
1: So you went full circle there where it's from where you were born, and then wh- yeah, when did nobody you go? Can,
2: nobody can Yeah, nobody has any control over where they're born. I sure. think it's hilarious myself. But I but, couldn't, I, you know, I tried to tell those guys on Forged and Fire, and it's, well, it was, after I was three days old, uh, my mother was able to take me home to Louisiana, so <laughs> I guess I like, yeah, you know, it's be you know. They say yeah, not from here, <laughs> just because you were three days. You lived here for three days. You know, it's, well, born right. here, <laughs> right,
1: right, right. That, that's a far cry from the country where you had, had yeah. Been growing it was a big difference, but where, it's, where you would grow up,
2: yeah, and it's certainly not the it, it's uh, it's laughable, is what it is. Your mom met a navy sailor.
1: Yeah, she while, did while there too. but then he would
2: go with the war he was over in the pacific and he would die in battle he did and he was lost at sea and uh if you're ever interested i have his uh, burial flag that she got in 1950 because they had to wait x amount of time to make sure he had was lost okay. at sea before they would give her uh, and we'll get to this business, what happened, how I ended up in my father's house in a the moment. They had to do, certify him as being lost at sea. Right. So it was 1950 when she got that flag, uh, his burial flag, and they presented it to her. I have that in the shop. And he was going to, to my understanding, he was going to adopt me.
1: All right. Is that what your mother had told you?
2: Yeah, yeah, or somebody, my grandfather, and parents, of somebody. I couldn't, you know, being ten years old, I can't remember every detail, everything that everybody said to me. Sure, it, it's just interesting how much of the
1: history that you have a hold of and have a sense for, anyway, and however that was shared, and that considering we're talking about a time in the '40s when, as you put it, you were illegitimate.
2: Yeah, you couldn't have that in the '40s. All right, it was disgrace to the whole family, and Get this, the community. So you had to live in a community. Having a baby out of wedlock was not a good plan. Right. All right, so it's like another reason for her not to go to hell back to Louisiana was the state of heck in New York. See, she could have went uh-huh. home to Louisiana and had a baby there, which would have been me. But that was a bad idea.
1: I wouldn't have been surprised if the story you'd have been told, given the fact that we're talking about this World War II period, if to save face somebody might have said oh your father you know he was lost at battle you know he he's a hero yeah and if that would have been the story they gave you but instead it sounds like they were honest with you about how all of this played out yeah
2: and they just they kept it pretty quiet you know because again they they didn't want to save themselves the embarrassment i suppose you know it's kind of a funny story because it doesn't. See, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't jibe. Why didn't they tell me sooner? Why didn't they this? Why didn't they that? And nobody really knows what the reason is. But they seem to be, um, uh, seemed to be conspiracy there along the line that they wanted to just, just let it go. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's was. It just always felt that way. And again, the, the other problem is my mother was the only one that had. And we were in farm community. Now we didn't. Nobody had social security numbers. Because in agricultural, you didn't need it. You lived on a farm. You didn't need a social security. You didn't pay it. Okay. So you didn't need it. And that's the way it was. And uh, so, But my mom was working for the government, and she had to have a social security number. I did not. I never got one until I joined the service because it, you know, it was an agrarian uh, thing. That's the way it was back now that you have to have one at birth. you know, yeah. They issued it right away. Back in those days, you didn't get a... Uh, social security number if you lived on a farm you didn't need how you, old were you when you went into the service then? 18. so and at 18. i tried to grow in, i tried to go in when i was 17 and a little trouble getting uh, my folks if you will at the time uh, and father and stepmother to sign papers because i wasn't 18 and uh, and i didn't weigh enough that's what stopped the whole thing i think they would probably sign them but I weighed under 100 pounds. Okay, know, at that's pretty, pretty
1: yeah. either small or just thin or something. Skinny kid at 17.
2: And uh, so uh, they told me to get some weight on. So I got some homemade barbells that I made myself, and lifted those weights and stuff, and gained. Uh, I was 106 or 110, 16 something like that uh, when I turned 18. Because back then they had. I guess they had weight restrictions. Do you have an idea of how tall you were then? You know, when I joined the service, I was 5'10". I'm 5'9". Now, (laughs) I'm I'm (laughs) the same person, though. I don't know know what the hell happens. I think your spine shrinks or something. I'd place you
1: around the Vietnam War era age-wise so yeah. you wanted to enlist, you didn't wait to be drafted, or no, how did that play no, out? I
2: didn't want to – the reason I enlisted is because I, had, I, took, I took a serious interest if we could black, back up and in blacksmithing. My mother was a welder, uh-huh. my grandfather, and both sides I – me, mean, my grandfather and my father's side of the family, they were the ones that were in the blacksmithing business by coincidence. all right. My mother's father was also a blacksmith, master of the trade, European guild, French – Okay. And but my grandfather's side of the family, they were also blacksmiths. that go back a long ways. So when you add these two together, I don't know how far back my grandfather, and my mother's side went, but on my father's side, they go back to the 1690s in Scotland. Okay. Okay. And I'm I'm uh, uh and I'm 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 about as white as you get to I mean, what, <laughs> we did a DNA thing. My daughter wanted me to do it, so I did it, and I. I ended up with a 75% Scottish and 25% French. Okay. And the French would have been my mother's side of the family, she Cajun French. Was
1: that something that you were trying to do in the military? I think that's where we were headed there. Well,
2: going to the, back to the military, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I'd forgotten already, uh, is I want to be a blacksmith. I said, well, the Army don't have any blacksmiths. I said, well, the Navy always had them. He said, well, the Navy always had them. I said, well, I tried to join the service. And they said that uh, they don't have blacksmiths anymore. They used to. You know, the like coal shoveler used to be a, actually a trade. It was actually a, a badge for a coal shoveler at one time in the Navy. And he said, and that would have been the same with the blacksmith. They would have had the two crossed blacksmith hammers. He said, well, those hammers represent the ship fitter nowadays, which is the new name for the blacksmith. So that's what I said. Well, that's what I want to be. I want to be the ship fitter. So that's what I wanted. I wanted to be a blacksmith. That's why I joined the Navy. And we're mariners. Our family mariners for, go back hundreds of years. Just like the blacksmiths, just in the the, uh, family. So it's just a coincidence that both sides were into blacksmithing.
1: How long were you in? And did you end up having to
2: go to war? 12 years altogether. That's a good stretch. Yeah, because, well, I was a really good swimmer. And I learned to swim really well. I could make it swim miles, I mean, I was just good at it. And somebody encouraged me to get into the uh, diving, to go to diving school. So uh, that's what I did. I got into the diving school and I stayed in that for a while. And one thing led to another and I ended up in a place I didn't wanna be, let's put it that way. Uh, because I got, I got a chance to ship over, as they call it, uh, and to get extra pay and all these kinds of things and I'm just a little bit naive about what was going on around me and got myself into a situation when i would have preferred not to
1: are we talking about
2: conflict militarily military, or otherwise? that's right military conflict yeah okay
1: so when i think of those divers that's with you know like the metal
2: yeah Now i'm not certified in uh in hard hat that's okay a, that's a different kind of diving and then there's that Okay. Okay. They'll allow you to train in it, and to certify in it. it's a different thing because it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Soup to be in incredibly dangerous. Uh, you're getting so much trouble underwater because there's no place to go, and you can't uh, you can't make any mistakes.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a difficult science to learn everything behind it to keep yourself safe and alive. And others. Yeah. Let alone yeah. deal with what you encounter actually, yeah. you know Yeah. It's in the field, very, so to speak. Very but it's underwater.
2: Very dangerous. Very difficult. And if you get into any kind of warfare, it makes it worse, except in our case I can only the only thing I can say is that we always had the upper end. Okay. We always made sure that we did. Let's go back to
1: your you're going to move in with your father Okay, there now. No. So you were thirteen. So my
2: when we're talking about social security numbers, my mother had one of these things and when I when she died, that money from the Social Security would have went to me and she was already collecting I was ten, so she, she was had thousands of dollars in the bank from when her husband died in the war because there would have been a a paycheck they would she would have collected his so she did end pay. up
1: marrying that that navy sailor she, who died she in the did ma-
2: marry him yes okay they did get married but he had died god months just months later it seems yeah yeah because uh, i don't know when she married him okay i couldn't tell you okay but uh
1: you must he, have been he a he died
2: baby. in 1945 before the end of the war it's a destroyer it's sunk
1: so you're saying that
2: you would have and collected by the way his brother security. died in another ship at the same time,
1: there are a number of sad stories here yeah. and, and challenging experiences <laughs> that happened when you were really young, and I wonder if that had an effect on you and in, in, in just knowing.
2: Well, I became a people person because of my grandparents. Now they were okay. very good about. It. They told you like living with a philosophy. Everybody, she's everybody is all made the same. He says "There's only one race. It's called the human race. Is that that's how they explained it to me. We were expected to stick to our own kind like the Chinese do, like the Spanish do, like the blacks do, and like the whites do, like the Germans, like the Italians, all right? <laughs> all right. We were expected to stick with our own kind. Jews okay. did what they did. Catholics did what they did. You're talking about when you were a kid. Yeah. I mean, it was just part of the world. It still is. It's what makes the world go round. Everybody tends to stick to their own kind you know but despite that
1: being the way we all would segregate ourselves your grandparents taught you
2: that we really all are the same oh yeah, absolutely she said that uh, that uh, be careful how you treat people you never know who they're going to be someday just look at the mm. belly button I says she said to me i i said uh, something to her about this really old woman in church I said, Look how old that lady is. <laughs> and she said to me, he hey, I'll tell you, she was born, born uh, probably before the Civil War, and she could be 100 years old by now. He's got a belly button just like you do. He said, One time, a baby being nursed. And because when you're born, you're completely helpless. You, somebody's got to be there. You're not going to survive the thing, all right, to feed you. And nurture you, and do all the things that need to do to get you started, so you can get up on your feet. And it's the longest time, a human baby, very helpless for a long time. He says, and that woman you're looking at had to be like that. He says, swaddling, and those kinds of things. And look at her now; all you could, all you see is an old woman. But there was a baby there one time. I just look at, Adolf. and the whole
1: life that happened all along the way. Yeah,
2: there's a well. If we were exposed. You take Adolf Hitler, for instance imagine adolf hitler taking his first steps we don't to, I mean, we don't think of him that clock, way or somebody like uh, uh you can go back further than that you can go back to george armstrong custer uh taking his first steps we are talking about a an infant here with the, uh, the the golden cord as she used to call it and once that golden cord is severed you're part of the earth now and she said uh And my grandfather was a Superman is the only one that doesn't have that. He says, because he's not human, he don't have a belly button. (laughs) So they were pretty good about that. But uh, it takes Julius Caesar, for instance. You see all those pictures Brady took during the Civil War. Yeah, Matthew Uh, Brady. Matthew Brady, okay. He's all dead bodies, all lined up getting ready to bury him. Every one of them, somebody's child. And that's what she would say, that... that, uh, that you're, what you're looking at is somebody's child here. He's say we're all someone's baby. That's pretty amazing. All someone's baby, whether they wanted us or not, we were still there. And whether they, if they didn't care, we wouldn't be there ourselves because we'd die off. You know. And so, and, and you take World War II. Every time some soldier, sailor, marine, otherwise was killed in battle, his life's completely ended. No more children. I'm going to try one more
1: time, Alf, to take you back to 13 when you moved in with your father. All right. Now
2: we're going back to the, again, uh, Social Security and my mother's money that she had in the bank. All right? Okay. That was mine. All right? I mean, it would have been, I would have ended up with it. My grandparents would have made sure that I did. Okay. And they did for a while. So after she died, my stepmother was determined to get that money okay now things are starting to fall into place and that's why i ended up in my father's house because he was my father my natural father and as long as i lived with my father they gave her access to that money to that account we don't know now i'm 10 years old at the time we don't know what the hell happened so what they did was they sent me to my uncle's house in virginia all right so i'm, I'm moving around now to, for a whole year to keep me keep them from kidnapping me that's where i was supposed to go to my father's place all right and uh so i they didn't know where the hell i was because i was in uh, uh in charlottesville virginia which was a nice place then by the way not nowadays seems okay. like there's a lot of uh, unrest there because they were trying to
1: figure out what the motives were. No, they to go to New my, York.
2: My uh, my stepmother, it would have been. Uh huh. Was determined to get that money, and if I was in my father's possession, I, that money would have been in his possession, and she would have been had access to it. But you did end up going and living with them at some yeah, point I, when I was thirteen. Yeah. Okay. And that was a different reason because I was supposed to, I, for a while, when things calmed down, after I stayed with my uncle for that whole year, it was a year plus, uh, I was able to go back to Louisiana and I got myself in a great deal of trouble. And that's why I ended up with my father. Okay. Right. And uh, that's when they seem to have gotten their hands on this money, this, uh, this uh, account, if you will.
1: Well, hold up a second here, Alf, because y- you dropped something like you got into trouble. And then you're going to have to move across the country, essentially, from deep south to That's well right. up Which north. Was, but yeah, what's well,
2: this trouble? I, oh, I can't say. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say it. I can't tell you.
1: They surely aren't after you still. We're talking a good, what, 70-ish years ago? Oh,
2: yeah. But no, it, it was, uh, it was uh, a community thing. I gotten in a great deal of trouble in the community. Okay. And they decided it would be safer for me. Right. To okay. Live with my, we're, we're back to that community perception thing. Yeah. Let's just call it that. I can't discuss what happened there, but it was, it was a, a, a violent sort of a confrontation type thing that I was involved in, and it, it was uh, expunged, okay, uh, from my records. I would never gotten would have gotten in the service if I hadn't. Okay. And it had to deal. It had to deal with the, uh, y- you know. You know, it was a big fight. It was a big fight over, you know, communities, people in communities uh, like the Hatfields and the McCoys type uh-huh. feud type thing. Okay. And I was involved in something like that without without being direct about it. I want to be indirect about it because I don't want to talk about that stuff. Okay. So It isn't something I would put on the air. We're jumping around a little bit here, but I want to go back
1: to you having mentioned "Forged in Fire," which some people will recognize is the television series that's on the History Channel. Yeah, that started several years ago.
2: Oh, yeah. I think
1: that they came to you initially around the beginning of this, Uh, right? Before the show
2: ever came on the air, yeah. And they contacted me. There was three places. They uh, that uh, there was one in New York, there was one in L.A., and one in Denver. And we all got together with all three of them because they uh, they read my thing and they got a intrigued by it. Okay. And they wanted to do a TV show that wrapped around that sort of thing, that around okay. blacksmithing, not my history, but blacksmithing, because they were intrigued by the you know learning the trade and those types of things. And then I discussed it, these things with them, and we talked about, and they seemed to have dropped it after that, because they created something else from it. And then, uh, they had gotten a hold of me, uh, when they finally developed the show, they had gotten back to me and wanted me to be on the first seasons. And I turned it down. I said, it doesn't sound like it's something for me because it's competitive and I'm not the competitive time. And I can, if it's educational, I might be interested, but, uh,
1: I think it's tough to be competitive when what we're talking about is something creative. There's a lot of subjectivity well, in that as well.
2: Yeah, and some people don't the, the uh, what they don't see in that show is they don't see the intensity of what it is that you're doing.
1: I, I wanted to ask you how real, based on this one experience, you feel like this reality, so-called reality TV show, really was. Like, how did yeah. what did you experience there? Where maybe it surprised you that this is the way they did it, or the way well, the no, episode actually, came it out. Didn't ultimately, didn't surprise
2: me at all. Like – what they what they do is they says you got two hours, maybe maybe three hours, to make this knife. Okay, that was very real. Okay, I mean they gave you three hours and that was it. And I said, well, it's not going to be a problem. I can make it. It won't be the it won't be the nicest thing I've ever seen. And I can run in, not being in my own environment, in my own shop. There's no telling what kind of trouble I was going to get into trying to make a knife with the junk they had around there. They didn't have. The, the proper uh, uh the proper things to make a knife in that uh, shop that they had i don't believe the judges themselves knew that uh, uh that they'd make knives themselves they create their own knives they were all good at what they do but they didn't have a shop like that all right well i think part of the they point had, of, what of that they is a challenge provided right? to us was the minimal amount of everything that they wouldn't couldn't possibly use themselves
1: I think that's part of the point, though, isn't it, is to see what, with your skills and experience, what can you pull out of nothing that is totally not the right situation?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all a matter of problem solving is what it was. And I was complimented for that, by the way.
1: I think it, look, I think it looks like a, a, a pretty hard, hard show to
2: do. And, of course, what we're talking no, about here— No, it was is, not, actually. Uh, when you made a mistake, you had to—I made a big mistake when I started the thing. Uh, and I says, well, here's what I got to do. I had my grandfather's voice with me, and was telling me how to resolve these problems because he would taught me that stuff when I was growing up, learning this business. Okay. okay. Learning, because they were, I was very ill-equipped. I had enough, I had enough rudimentary stuff to work with to make a blade, and I did exactly that. And I says, there's enough material in one of those things to make a dozen knives. All <laughs> I needed was a small piece of it. Some of those other guys started over. They thought they needed enough billet to make six or seven knives when they only needed enough steel to make one, okay? And when theirs did the same thing, they started over with another billet instead of just using what they already had to make a knife. You see, that's problem solving. Okay. And that's exactly what I did.
1: I wonder how it felt. To be on TV, I've not been on a TV show. Didn't make show. any difference. Didn't matter to you. Wasn't I was exciting. Too focused. To, yeah, it was exciting. Oh, and yeah, fun?
2: yeah, it was exciting to to have the pressure on to because we've all get it. You know, he mm-hmm. says you're changing a flat or something in the middle of the night in the rain. Uh uh-huh. you, You're you're <laughs> under pressure. You see, uh, and it was the same kind of thing. You you got you're gonna do it. All right. There's There isn't any way out of this. You're gonna do it until you get it done. And he said, if you sit there and, and, uh, and say, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And stare at the flat tire. You can imagine how long yep. you might be sitting there. Okay.
1: These are things so. like I teach my sons that what are you going to do when you don't feel like, just say, finishing this hike? Something simple like that. It's like we, you know, there's a level oh, yeah. of grit and like you shooting. have no choice but to keep going. Oh, yeah. I want to go back to the the philosophical sayings, the life lessons, I guess, that your grandparents yeah. would teach you because there's one in particular that that I think is kind of amusing. Blacksmithing is 50% physical and 50% mental, and the remaining 50% is also physical. That's right.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> With that in mind, you know, there are a lot of experiences that you have that we have not even touched on. Oh, but yeah. I, think we, I think we've gotten, you know, some little pieces here and there, enough to show that you are a man who has lived a lot and so I'm always curious, what is it that Nothing people special. have learned from their experiences?
2: So what have you learned from your experience? Yeah, well, I, I'm well, curious. How it is that you can? how the hell it is that you can fall and get up and brush yourself off and get back to work? says you're the only person there is. This might be somebody that could help you up, but they're going to let you go as soon as you're standing again, right? So it's it's one of them kind of things that uh, if you uh, – the, and then there's those people to put their arm around you and cry with you. And at some point, you both have to stop doing that right? <laughs> and get back to work, okay? Because think after a while, they're going to say, Jesus Christ, I just started out a pretty good relationship with this guy. But every time I talk to him, he starts crying again. <laughs>
1: You said nothing special about your experiences. To me, there, there is a lot of extraordinariness in it, but I suppose on one hand, too, there are a lot of people who have also endured tragedies. They've oh. you know, done you know, different things that might be similar in some vein, but I do think that one person having so many experiences, and again, I, I'm going to encourage people to go to your website yeah. and to read the history because
2: there's a lot there that we didn't get into. Yeah, when you learn it, you learn it well. That's how I close that thing. Okay. Yeah, learn it and learn it well, because yeah, the, the, the danger. I, I don't know if Kennedy, President Kennedy, said it or not. Uh, thought he did. That the greatest threat to, to education is the myth. So it's, it may not be in there, but it is. I mean, if somebody, if somebody's like carpentry, goldsmithing, silversmithing, blacksmithing, they teach you how to do something, and then the next generation. Like a cobbler. All right, he's had to sew a boot together and to make sure it stays together. So, I mean, so some people come your reputation means so much that a person I only had that shoe one day my foot went right through the front. <laughs> he's that's somebody didn't know what the hell they were doing, especially when they taught you how to make a shoe. What I'm saying is, uh, when when somebody teaches you something And if if it doesn't come from the right source, if they're self-taught themselves and they teach you what they know, what happens the actual piece of that trade that isn't learned properly goes away. And Fabergé may have been the molest artist that made one of those Fabergé eggs because of that. He never taught anybody uh, how to do that. And uh, they're on their own now to learn how to Reproduce something similar to that, you know.
1: Um, Are you teaching people? Have you or have I you taught have, people? But I
2: but I, I was very disappointing because what people uh, nowadays, what I'm seeing is unfortunate. Uh, you know, I'm, perhaps I'm wrong. But uh, what I'm seeing over time is uh, the instant gratification, the lack, the lack of it. They see this knife on TV, for instance, As for instance. And then they contact you and they wonder if you can make something like this. It's, it's not a simple thing. You just can't make anything like this overnight. It takes a time to, to get it. In some cases, it takes jewelers to make some of them knives. they get the knife from the blacksmith, the jeweler will, and then put all the beautiful gold and everything and handled and ivory and everything. The blacksmith wouldn't do that.
1: How many years experience do you have as a blacksmith?
2: Mine, uh, you know, with the on and off, okay, and I've done a lot of other things, okay. but I've always backed up to it. You know, when I worked for the state, uh, I was I'm always blacksmithing, and it was, I had an anvil and coal fire around me when I was, uh, I was even in the tree business for a short while, but I still had a shop where I did the same stuff. So I would say my whole life, on and off, you know, those on and offs, meaning they, it's, it's, it's a low and I didn't have a shop to work in. Okay. In between shops and stuff like but you have to have facilities you have to have tools and I, some of those tools i got are well over 100 some 200 years old
1: i think it sounds like a reasonable answer to say your whole life especially yeah, when we're I talking about is. that it, being in your blood the way that we've talked about it been. right
2: and it is in my blood because it's the the is in my blood i might mean, work a computer i'm the only one that can't seem to work a computer without the thing going haywire <laughs> i think there's too much iron in my blood my wife will say, well, show me something on her phone <laughs> and she'll hand me the phone and it'll go blank okay. she says well, she says to me what did you do I say, do anything i just looked at the picture you showed me on the phone she says well it's gone it went away i says, <laughs> <laughs> do you ever see yourself retiring no what am i supposed to do i mean what am i i've seen i've seen the results of it i've seen somebody i knew that was in the law enforcement for 30 years and when he retired the next thing you know he was mixing paint <laughs> so at the uh at walmart and then and after that he had gotten some how many woodworkers do we have retired people they retired and they buy a bunch of woodworking equipment and they're making <laughs> step stools and letters for your house door and stuff like this He's sawing them out, you uh-huh. know. What the hell's going on? Why don't they just stay in law enforcement? He said, Well, you can't. You can't be 78 years old, 79, 80 years old, and be a law enforcement officer. So often they'll become a, a, a guard in a bank or something like that. And if they want to exaggerate it, you can see it in the movies with some guys so horribly decrepit, and he's <laughs> sitting in a chair sleeping in his bank, you know.
1: So there's nothing you could envision yourself doing, even if it's just to spend your days fishing. Like,
2: No. Being a blacksmith I could, yes, I can. is the thing. I could go fishing, yes. But first of all, fish hate me. I right? found that out a long time ago. They hate me. <laughs>
0: all
2: right? It's very rewarding to have somebody bring something to me they can't do themselves. And there's a lot of reward in seeing something work again. And I used to think, well, oh, why the hell, my I guess my grandfather's? why are they bringing all this junk here? I mean, it's just, and it wasn't until I was in my 20s I figured it out. But I should have asked them, more, why are they bringing all this stuff to us to fix? Why the hell don't they just fix it themselves? Because I was led to believe that everybody learned life skills and when something broke, a saw you can't cut with it and it won't sharpen, it's, it's, what's the matter with it? It won't cut wood anymore, you know? It's why the hell are they bringing here it? it's a goddamn stupid saw when they can just sharpen it themselves turns out that they didn't know how. They weren't taught that. They wanted us to do this stuff not because they were, because they were too lazy to do it themselves. Well, they were taking advantage of us. And I, didn't, I was in my 20s before I figured it out. That, I, just, I, I had a skill that they needed, and I could actually make money from that.
1: The skill that you have, the many skills that you have, yeah. a lot of them are from an older time, and the world has changed in a lot of ways to where I can't do many of the things that you do, for, it's in, for it's instance. It's necessary, though. So I wonder how you feel being some, like, like I think you just illustrated, you are somebody who has and offers this value in the world when so, it's such a rare set of skills to have.
2: Yeah, and I hadn't realized that until I was i 25 years old.
1: And I would guess it's only become increasingly so,
2: yeah. right? When I was in the service, and I keep in mind, I didn't, when, when, after the eighth grade, you didn't go to school anymore. You graduated.
0: Okay.
2: And you didn't have to go to high school. and work on a farm. So when I joined the service, says, oh, we can't send you to school because you're not a high school graduate. But we can send you to on board a ship, and you get on-the-job training from these people around you. Well, I already knew all this stuff because they, they hadn't realized that I was learning at home on the farm. So uh, by the time I was in two years, I was actually doing classes myself on showing people how to do things.
1: Alf, it's been interesting talking to you. It's been quite a ride through a number of stories here. I know I feel like you're a man who's just sitting on a treasure trove of stories. Thank you for, for sharing your stories, Alf.
2: Yeah, sure, sure.
1: Thanks for listening to the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast. If our conversation here today sparks curiosity for you, you can learn more in this episode's show notes at wearechafee.org. If you have comments or know someone in Chafee County, Colorado, who I should consider talking with on the podcast, you can email us at info at We invite you to rate and review the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use with that functionality. We also invite you to tell others about the Looking Upstream podcast. Help us to keep growing community and connection through conversation. Once again, I'm Adam Williams, host, producer, and photographer. John Prey is engineer and producer. Thank you to Khen 106.9 FM, our community radio partner in Salida, Colorado. To Heather Gorby for graphic and web design. To Andrea Carlstrom, director of Chafee County Public Health and Environment. And to Lisa Martin, community advocacy coordinator for the We Are Chafee Storytelling Initiative. The We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast is a collaboration with the Chafee County Department of Public Health and the Chafee Housing Authority, and it's supported by the Colorado Public Health and Environment Office of Health Disparities. You can learn more about the Looking Upstream podcast and related storytelling initiatives at wearechaffee.org and on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Lastly, until the next episode, as we say here at We Are Chafee, share stories, make change.